Well, hi, everyone. We're here on the live show. Hello. You'll be back with us in just a second. With Leading Edge Love Radio. I'm your host, Sumati Sparks at sumatisparks.com. And today I am so pleased to have international tantra teacher David Amiri as my guest. Uh, David is a teacher of relationships, tantra, spiritual awakening, and polyamory, and an expert on everything sex, love, and intimacy. <laughs> He's been a coach, a counselor, and a body worker for 30 years and practiced Tantra for 20 years. He's been in open relationships all of his life, and he even lived in a land-based community in the 90s with folks who made up the word polyamory. I want to hear more about that. Uh, In their five-person marriage. He's from the Bay Area, but on a workshop tour of the Pacific Northwest, and right now he's in beautiful Vancouver, British Columbia. Welcome, David. Hi, Sumati. It's really a pleasure to be here with you. Thank you for having me today. Of course. So tell me, David, how did you come into polyamory? Goodness gracious, that's an interesting question. You know, my very, very first relationship ever, the woman to whom I was blessed to lose my virginity to, as a teenager back in Brooklyn, New York, where I grew up, uh, it was actually in Manhattan this actually happened, but uh, Beloved Amber was, uh, you know, we, for my very first relationship, we fell into like a star-flung soulmate joined at the hip totally in love relationship and we were together for five years and we lived together in two different places and that's already rare but we were actually open within that and we didn't have back in that day any teachings or any language about it or you know any tools but we just found it was more like, hey, can I go home with the bass player? Sure, when you're coming back. Or how about that couple? Can we bring them home? And it was episodic, but uh, we did well with it. That was never a cause of any stress and turbulence in the relationship. We just were erotically exploratory. And I think what was important about that was we had a really deep, beautiful heart connection where we felt very secure in the relationship and the partnership we had. And I've done polyamory in other ways too over the many years where I wasn't in a primary partnership and it wasn't that. But in this case, it was a really good way to start. You know, I think we had our inspiration from Robert Heinlein. We were big science fiction fans, and we one of the books we read was Stranger in a Strange Land, which had themes of yeah. polyamory in it. And I, we, I don't think we ever made a note of that at the time, but it probably helped to plant some of the seeds that this was an option. Mm-hmm. Awesome. Yeah, I've heard people refer to that book a lot. Um, So I know that you do some coaching around polyamory. So what is your approach to it? I do coach people on relationships of any kind. Uh, Not only people in polyamory, but I, I think it's very common that people have issues about 
openness and exclusivity and that whole conversation and or wanting to make the transition or one partner feels more one way. So that is very common. And I have coached a lot of poly couples and poly pods. Uh, so that has been a part of my practice. My approach to everything is really very present centered, you know, because I even say that polyamory and exclusivity are behaviors, not identities. I don't think it's like being gay or straight. I don't. I, I think we can have tendencies and predispositions, but I have kind of flown naturally between being more exclusive relating and more open relating in different relationships at different times in my life. And I think that's really quite natural. I think it's really... Uh, natural that sometimes on the front end of a relationship, people might want to take some time being more exclusive to help to build a foundation and their own container together, though not for every pairing, uh, depending on the people. Uh, But my approach to the counseling is to go into what is actually going on to get out of the concepts and into the phenomena is one of the things that I repeat a lot. So, because people talk about jealousy, oh, we're having jealousy. Well, what's that? Jealousy is like this bucket word. It's a concept. People refer to a lot of different experiences within that word. And it's completely different if you have the whole thing of, you know, hey, get your hands off my stuff. If that comes up, you know, that's very different than, oh, you're going to compare me to someone else and I'm no good and you'll like them better. Or where will I be without a partner? I have to, you know, it's like these are all really different experiences. And so I take people into the experience and we unpack that to uncover, well, where's the wounding? Where is, and where's your love and respect? for your partner and where's the mutuality where can you really honor and respect each other and find a way forward that meets everyone's needs both in the moment and in the direction that your relationship is evolving that's I guess a little about the broad strokes of how I approach it thank you yeah I like that you said you think of polyamory as a behavior not an identity so some people feel like they're born polyamorous um, and it, it is like an identity, like being gay, and other people feel like they can flow back and forth between monogamy and open relationship. Do you, um, do you feel like there's some people that, the, that an, uh, polyamory is an identity for them and some people that's not true? Or do you feel like the awesome. behavioral... Yeah. yeah. That's an awesome question. I think that, I mean, that takes us back to, like, what is identity? As a teacher of awakening, identity is an obstacle to begin with. Anything that we identify with too strongly is actually not us. We, when I talk about spiritual awakening, I, what I think is finally us is we're this big empty space where all the contents of our experience arise and subside right, and change right. forever. And so all of our identities are temporary and evolving. But, I mean, if there's – I may have been a person who was born poly. I was certainly born with the capacity for polyamory. And 
even though I sometimes can have exclusive relating, it would be a mistake for me to try to life partner with someone for whom that's completely outside of their repertoire. But the way that I approach that question with people is to say, you know, I think we have this predisposition. We have an openness and a capacity and a tendency at the bottom of the barrel we may not even know what that is until we get down through enough of the layers of the beliefs, the conditioning, the identities, and the trauma that we've experienced. And we may sometimes be surprised at what we actually would enjoy or could expand to include for someone we love when we're down beneath the beliefs conditioning identities and trauma there's my short list uh yes and i have seen people have surprising outcomes from that process Mm -hmm. yes i think that's true that people have to dig deep uh, underneath the jealousy and the um the contraction to see what traumas are there so what what kind of issues or what what kind of struggles do you find with your your clients, what what comes up the most around polyamory? You know, I work with awakening. I call myself an awakening, so an awakening coach. So everything I do is a vehicle for that. If I'm coaching with polyamory, if I'm coaching an exclusive couple, if I'm teaching Tantra, it's an... That's what we're focusing on, but what we're doing inside of that is, is working on spiritual awakening. So my approach to right. that question is, uh, everything that arises in our relationships, in love, sex, and intimacy, shows us a mirror of what's where our core separation wounds are, where our separation is from source, where we believe still that something could come between us and love itself, love that we can feel no matter what another person is doing and that we can bring to our relating, which really frees us a lot to let another be what their being and do what they're doing and to find what's mutual and guide yourself forward that way. So the biggest issue that comes up for people is when we're trying to extract security, self-esteem, or an experience of unity, of spiritual unity from the partner. And then we get all tangled up because we're trying to meet those needs by controlling the partner and we feel terrified that we've lost our source of something that we can only get from them. It's like here we are in an ocean of love that surrounds and connects us, which is the fact of it. And we're trying to suck it through a straw from one person. You know, it's kind of of silly. It looks silly from the outside. It looks very serious when you're inside of it because it can be very Mm -hmm. painful. And we're scared of that experience that we call heartbreak. So you'll break mm-hmm. my heart, you know, but my favorite Sufi saying is the heart that can be broken is not the true heart anyway. So break me now. So right. I talk about creating a, what I call a container of sacred relationship. And what I mean by that is when we really understand that 
no matter what the other person did, whether it was good behavior, bad behavior, needs adjustment, we have to teach them our boundaries, even no matter what they're doing, if we're getting triggered by that, that part of it is ours. That part of it is inside us. So that's an opportunity to work on our own triggers and our own wounds and to heal into more love and more of our own sense of connection with everything it's not mysterious all this unity state spiritual awakening it sounds like it's very highfalutin but it's just that when we relax into our own heart we just feel connected with ourselves we feel connected with others with the life around us and it they can the things that are happening can just be happening and then we can respond to it authentically we don't have to defend or protect or control so much and so that's where all, all of the deepest healing is at the bottom of it. The issues present in all kinds of ways because people get attached to these very rigid structures of like veto powers and and boundaries and you can do this, all the agreements. that, I have, to, yeah. I have to be there. All the agreements, it's perfectly fine for right. us to decide what we prefer and to come up with a mutual solution for that. But at the end of the day, as soon as we pull the emergency brake, we're in power struggle. And it, maybe you need an emergency brake in an emergency, but that's actually not sustainable long term. And I try to get people over time at the pace that they can progress to a place where transparency and love is enough to get you through anything where just anything, nothing is off the table. You just have to tell some, I'm starting to feel a longing for this, but I really love and care about you. So I want to talk about it with you and I want to find a mutual way forward. I find right. that works so much better like than some... all the control agreements. Yeah, it sounds like there's a lot of communication coaching that goes into getting couples to talk about those vulnerable desires that they have. But I also want to ask you, um, I also teach how to connect with who we really are and to the source, because if we don't, we're always looking for someone else to fill us. So do you have any kind of practices that you teach? Because it's easier said than done. Um, we're all, most of us had screwed up childhoods and we're looking for that mother or father figure. We're looking for somebody to validate us and make sure we're sexy and lovable. So we, we get, we fall into that very easily. So do you have any kind of practices that people can do to help remember who we really are, um, to remove the blocks between us and love? I do. And my approach to that is not so much to offer like quick fixes or reframes, it's, but to really teach people paradigms of how they hold space for themselves and others. And a lot of that work, we need someone to hold space for us and help us through the rough spots and help us initially start practicing it when where both people are too triggered to get there. And I give people cheat sheets and things. It's helpful to glance at those like, wait a minute, we're realizing we're triggered up the wazoo. Where's the sheet? So that's a good thing. But the biggest thing is heart presence and heart connection is teaching people how to drop down into our hearts and connect with ourselves first and foremost and with others from there, teaching people self-connection and authentic contact, how to receive 
ourselves and receive them and breathe. And uh, I think that's like the master skill of anything because whatever we process through our hearts is transformed that way. It really looks different. It takes us out of our authentic emotions, out of our reactive emotions and into our authentic vulnerable emotions. And uh, people, it's like we walk around in this culture like we are the person who is behind their eyes and between our ears. That's us. We're up here somewhere. We talk from here. We relate from there. And it's like we have a heart. We check in with it now and then. What if we're not a head that has a heart? What if we actually are a heart that has a head? What if that's us, if that's in the center of our experience of ourselves, and we can learn to live from that place? Now, isn't, hasn't it been scientifically proven that our electromagnetic field is larger in our heart than anywhere else in our body? It has. Some people say that the heart is another brain or maybe the main one. And the Heart Math Institute, I know, has done beautiful work on that and others. Yeah, I'm aligned with that. Right, right, right. Beautiful. Thank you, David. So um, maybe you can tell us a little bit about how your, um, how polyamory is showing up in your life today in present, in present time. <laughs> <laughs> well... I don't have a primary partner right now, uh, so I'm kind of in a mode of very open relating, but the way that is for me is that I'm in a place in my journey where I'm not looking for anything in a relationship. I'm not looking to create something which is a picture of a relationship I've imagined in the abstract. I'm really interested in all the relating that's happened in my life, and I'm interested in what is is in each relationship, and what what is it? Where are the places that we're excited to connect, and what might it want to emerge into? And uh, to follow that, to follow the energy. I'm a big fan of containers and commitments. Uh, but I think they should always follow the energy in a relationship and not try to lead it, not try to force the relationship into a box or a map of what we want it to be, but let's be more open to discover what it is. And it's been very rich and very exciting for me because there's a whole range of love and erotic possibilities that are not in those neat little cubby holes that we have assigned where I just want to keep surrendering into the mutual space between us. And wherever that brings us today, I feel quite full in that. So that is a very satisfying way to have my love life. And whenever I do start going deeper with someone, and I have several people I would call active lovers, um, one near at hand, which is a delightful discovery recently. And that becomes important to me. I don't have to make up a story or a narrative about exactly what it is or where it's going or make an agreement for that to show up for me as a value, as something I care about, and that will affect how I want to enter into relationship with more other people. And so there has to be a lot of communication. There has to be harmony. If I want to maintain and cultivate all my relationships and keep them feeling good, 
then I have to care about what others are going to feel, and that's included. For me, Mm -hmm. it's not a a solid wall where out of sight, out of mind, I might be connecting with a new person, but everybody I share love with is still in my heart, and I'm aware uh, of them in that. Not like intruding, but like, oh, I'm at an edge here now where... I feel like I should check in with so-and-so. Yeah, it sounds like you really are practicing what you preach around being present, um, being aware of what is, what's showing up in the moment, being honest and transparent with yourself. So my question is, what happens when you meet another person who isn't quite at your level and doesn't understand that each relationship is its own beautiful gift and they're wanting more right. from you or they're clinging or they're wanting more exclusivity. How do you handle that? That's a beautiful question. So if it's very, very rigid and firm with somebody, then I'll sense that. And so will she. And cause I am hetero. So it would be a she for me. Uh, so, that will limit and determine how far our connecting goes because I don't want to try to get even into someone's pants or achieve some sexual conquest past my own sensibilities of how we fit together really authentically. I'll get a stop from my own heart before I reach that place if I feel this is not a fit. I can see the edge of the cliff right here. In one instance where the most recent beloved that I had in California before leaving on this tour uh, came into my life quite magically and serendipity as is often the case. And we're quite different in many ways in a different stage of life, but that can be very creative. And uh, we were really felt a lot of love, a lot of good sexual chemistry and a lot of mutual nurturing and openness. And I knew that she had familiarity with Polly and that she was understood that that was, would be the landscape with me. So it felt like a yes for both of us. And we lived into that relationship and she knew I had a tour coming up. And then I launched off on the tour early in the year and we've maintained our connection. It's a long-distance relationship. I'm sure we'll be connecting more when I'm back in Northern California next. But the way that that was for her was that over the first maybe month or so away, I could feel, and maybe she wouldn't have articulated this as an expectation before I left, but it sort of felt like she was wanting more of a connection than I had bandwidth for as a long distance relationship with a lot of tasks to do, you know, on the road. And that produced a little tension between us. But so we dropped in and had some real heart to heart sharing and I held space for her. And for me, when someone's showing me that they have some vulnerability or they have some longings and desires, I'm, you know, touched by that. And it makes me really want to hold space for them and show them that I love and I care, that with my time, I still love them and go back to, to, to share truth, 
between us and to share. And the truth is that I'm here and it's like this for me now and it'll be like this in our communication while I'm away. I want to stay connected to you. And I feel that it actually took a few phone calls, but she totally got it. And so we've kind of adjusted to a new place. Yeah. Nice. Good job. Yeah, and I appreciate that you were in touch with that fine line between speaking your truth about how much time you have available and what your truth is around that Uh, versus uh wanting to care for her and make sure she doesn't hurt. You know, so there's always that, you know, how do we not be so codependent that we're denying our own truth for fear of hurting someone else? And that's the razor's edge of relationship right there. It's when we feel scared or triggered by someone else's vulnerability or reaching towards us, when we feel, oh, no, they're now trying to control me and we want to view it through that lens, or we feel, I need my boundaries, so I need to put up a wall and create separation, and now they're left on the other side of the wall and they're just hurting worse. And so that didn't help you keep the loving relationship even if the form has to evolve, and that didn't help them with their pain, and now they probably kind of feel all sore about you, and it's going to be hard to have a good time later. So, you know, that's part of, like, the nurturing and cultivating of loving relationships to me is just how to welcome, so like, Maybe even if they are coming at you in a controlling way, it's probably because they just really love you and they're also scared. And so if you can mm-hmm. hold space for them and, like, honor that and hold their heart and, like, say, well, I don't, I don't have to worry that it's going to control me. I can't control me. I'm free. But I'm free to love them and to soothe, help them soothe their fear and to reassure them about what is true and to tell them what to expect honestly and see if there's still a mutual place to go forward in. Yeah. And these are the skills that I think um, people who are in open relationships have to get really good at. And sometimes people in monogamous, people in monogamous relationships can more easily avoid these difficult truthy kind of conversations. And I've found that mm. people who have been in long-term relationships that are monogamous have swept things under the rug for years and sometimes decades um, because they're not kind of forced to talk about these things that we have to talk about when we have multiple relationships. Um, And it poisons their relationship too. I say that there's different kinds of inner work which are easier to find the opportunities to do in exclusive relating or open relating. And I prefer the word exclusivity because monogamy is actually a patriarchal ownership construct. Exclusivity describes the behavior. (laughs) So I don't even relate to the term monogamy. But what I say is that with polyamory, we have all these amazing opportunities to develop autonomy, to develop really careful communication skills. A lot of exclusive relationships are set up specifically to avoid all that. It's really, you know, don't you dare trigger me in that way, you son of a bitch. You know? Right. And, right. That, exactly. and that's your collusion agreement. You can avoid that spiritual growth forever and never find your heart to way to the, the beloved where your love is not dependent on them. And that's the spiritual doorway we can use polyamory for. But in 
a polyamorous person sometimes may have more of a tendency to uh, get scared of commitments or feeling trapped or just want to kind of skip across lily pads or as soon as it starts something difficult is coming up it's kind of we get squirmy and we want to find something new that's exciting and not challenging and so we get that opportunity to work also on like secure relating style, how to evolve from an anxious or avoidant relating style in towards a secure relating style and just really honor and love ourselves and everybody we love in our lives. Right. That is one of the criticisms of polyamory that we're um, afraid of commitment. Um, But I want to ask you a question before I move on. I just want to check in in case people are just joining us. This, you're listening to Leading Edge Love Radio, and this is your host, Sumati Sparks, at sumatisparks.com. And we're visiting with international tantra teacher David Amiri. And um, I was going to ask you, what, what do you think about a polyamorous person who ends up deciding not to see each other? I know oftentimes poly people uh-huh. have transitions rather than breakups. But let's say they're transitioning <laughs> into friendship, and one person takes the time to, to grieve the loss of that relationship and mm. recenter themselves and see what they can learn from it. And another person, ha- maybe they had another lover already or multiple lovers, and they kind of don't miss a beat and they just keep seeing the other people. Um, is that person still going to get the benefit of the lessons learned from a breakup if they just go right into their other relationships without missing a beat? That is an awesome question. And I want to answer that question in a deep, full way. But I want to say one last thing to kind of close the loop on what we were talking about uh, before and say that with whether in exclusive relating or polyamorous relating, we have the whole range of issues. And regardless of what happens in the behaviors, in the relating style, we both have to do both parts of all that inner work or it will poison all of our relationships, whatever love style we choose. And especially if we actually want some spiritual awakening, we have to be willing to work on wherever our triggers are. I just really Mm -hmm. wanted to say that clearly. Come back to your question about the thoughts to grieve and don't grieve. Yeah, I think that, first of all, nothing is ever lost and nothing goes away. And all of our experience is awaiting digestion and processing, and we will get there eventually. It may take some of us lifetimes. So we do have experience that comes from living, and we will digest it in our own way and in our own good time. And forgiveness is nothing but giving up all hope of a better past anyway. So, <laughs> right. <laughs> but if we, don't, if we don't take the time in our heart to stay current emotionally with the changes in our life and in our relationships, it will back us up and shallow us out. And we will tend to gravitate more up into the ego and the personality strata of relating. And I don't even think having another brand new relationship right away necessarily has to be an obstacle to doing that grieving. If the person is able to understand, wow, I'm so happy we have this new relationship energy 
And I get that you're still grieving her. Do you want to tell me about that, honey? You know, so there's a lot of possibilities in it, uh, but it will limit bringing the real the old relationship into present time if both people haven't done some of that digesting. Right, right. Thank you. Thank you for that answer. So I'm going to move on to another topic. Um, I know that you teach a lot of different kinds of workshops. And before we go into talking about specific workshops that you teach, I want to ask you, do you find that people who are into Tantra or take Tantra workshops tend to be more polyamorous people or is it about the same percentage as the general population? Is there an overlap there? That's a good question. I would say that there's probably a little more polyfluency in the Tantra community than in the general population, but not necessarily more than in other sex-positive communities. There is the whole range, and Tantra is not about polyamory, although people who might find it a little scary might view it that way and be scared that there is polyamory in the community, but maybe not. Maybe in some of the other alternative sexuality communities, there's an even higher proportion of people who are very poly than in the Tantra community per se. Mm-hmm. So in, ta- in the Tantra workshops, sometimes you have exclusive couples that are just wanting to learn to relate to one another in a new, fresh way. Oh, totally. A lot of Tantra people are couples who really just want to learn to do Tantra with each other, or they might be open to mm-hmm. doing a whole range of exercises with other participants in the workshop, but that don't include anything about getting undressed or imagining that this could then become a lover. Mm-hmm. Right. So that's just yeah. an exercise having to do with breath and eye right. contact. And, and my workshops like are yeah. quite varied. Some of them are very couples oriented and or partnering mm-hmm. oriented. So I do something called the Tantric Cuddle Yoga Sutra where people go through a journey through the chakras and different like partner yoga for tantricas, you know, with a musical journey that goes with it and uh that is a wonderful workshop where you're working with one person the whole night. So even if that's someone you just met that night or someone you brought with you, whether they're your spouse or not, that's a partner-oriented workshop. And other workshops are, are very different. Some of them don't include a lot of juicy connecting and are more about diets and sharing and inner work, And but a lot of the deeper workshops I do do include training in tantra connecting and we can choose in those workshops whether we want to work only with the person we came with or whether we want to work with others. Have you had to deal with a couple that shows up at your workshop and they're going around and doing exercises with other people and one of them gets really jealous and triggered by seeing their partner in an exercise with someone else? I've seen that in other workshops. I actually haven't had anything really bad uh, uh, happen in any of my workshops, and I think it's partly because I do a lot of layering in the heart presence and sensibilities that would tend to prevent that from happening. And I, when I, 
people do enter into these exercises, I guide them into it in a way that uh, encourages them to keep the importance of their heart connections in mind as they're deciding what to do. Beautiful, beautiful. So you have a workshop called Tribal Eros, Awakened Polyamory. So what is that workshop about? I do. That's a, for one of the newer workshops. And that's an evening event. It's not one of the big weekend workshops. So I think I, I, there's something really there that I may expand into more in the future. I'm really excited about that one because I found that a lot of people who've read the books or gone to poly conferences or things have a certain map of what that is or a certain map of options within what that is. And, oh, we'll do it this way, honey. You know, and it still is a little bit almost like, you know, I call it white picket fence polyamory. It's kind of, there's a lot that we carry forward into that polyamory from our previous maps of relationships, but it's much expanded. What I mean by tribal eros and awakened polyamory is coming outside of all of our maps, coming into just authentic heart connecting and coming into erotic community. This doesn't mean that we screw with everybody there. This means we're just very open and very authentic in how we navigate all the relationships and we can create meaningful bonding and we can create partnerships and polypods that have lasting duration to them, but that the way of moving is more within a sense of erotic community, uh, erotic tribal community of people whose values are threaded through awakening. That sort of comes before security needs and, and sexual gratification. It's a, it's a way of having those things when we're on a path of awakening. Beautiful. I heard you I mention we're dropping the term out of patriarchy. I just want to say that this is really, I call myself indigenous now. It doesn't mean that I kind of, you know, sit naked and shake rattles, although I might do that. But I, it, and I'm not indigenous to any specific landmass or culture, but indigenous to my skin, to myself, to the earth, to God, whatever it is, I feel like I've, don't refer to cultural templates and paradigms, even new ones, as a primary orienting point. I'm anchored in my embodied sensibilities as I can feel them now. That's what I mean by being indigenous. And that's what I mean by tribal erotic community of awakening, too, is really I think we're leaving patriarchy, we're leaving over-structured, over-hierarchical relationships and, and templates for our lives, and that there's a lot of possibilities for how that completely changes the landscape of relationship and the village and economic relationships. It, it, it's very rich to me to think about that. Mhm. Beautiful. Yeah, I think that polyamorous people need community because we yeah. can't do it in a vacuum. We need to hear how other people right. are working through their issues and how they've figured stuff out. Yeah. Beautiful. Yeah. Um, I heard you mention the term polypod a couple of times. So for people who may not uh-huh. know what that means, can you define oh, that? Oh, great. 
I don't know that I can define it, but other people have. And what I mean by it is a more or less stable formation of more than two that they've defined for themselves. Some of them might be open. Some of them might be exclusive within the pod. But when people decide that they're a cluster of people who have something that is like a marriage or a long-term relationship together, they don't. They might live together, they might not, then they might think of themselves as a polypod. Mm-hmm. And it seems like it can be kind of a nebulous, the, board, the boundaries can be quite nebulous uh, depending on They can be nebulous if we want them on a particular to be nebulous. Week. <laughs> they can be nebulous yeah. if we choose to have them be fluid, and they can be really quite highly defined, and some people do have very highly defined. Here's the standards and the criteria. If you're in this pod mm-hmm. and you want to have a satellite lover or put someone up for contemplation of admission to the pod, here's how we do it. Some people like to have a lot of structure around that, and I support that if that is a match for their needs and values. hmm Beautiful. Thank you. So um, how does this awakened polyamory, can you talk a little bit more about how that relates to your teaching about Tantra? Well, like I said, the uh, center of it all is awakening. And I always use the language heart awakening because a lot of times when we hear these spiritual teachers talk about awakening, it doesn't help that sometimes they are a little more up in their head. We think of something that's up here. We think of, oh, our seventh chakra will open and then we'll have awakening and it's all about going up. And I actually don't see it that way. I think that our heart is the natural balancing point and where we come to rest. It's what we come out of or what our being comes out of. It's the center of our experience of ourselves when there's not a lot else going on that's pulling or pushing us here or there, we come at rest in our heart. And it's nice if all our chakras are open, but our heart is the center of everything. And that's what I mean by heart awakening. And I take people through a journey in private coaching of whatever sort and whatever their steps they're ready for or in my long-term training, passionate awakenings training, and the level one training in it that I do as erotic devotion focuses on this a lot, and we're learning of how to create that container of the sacred relationship I talked about and how to really establish and stabilize a heart awakening and conduct our lives more and more from there. And so that's the center of all my teaching. And that's the link between Tantra and how I teach Tantra and how I teach polyamory. Because in Tantra, we're usually focusing more deeply with at least one at a time. Although that's not necessary either, but that's typical. And that's what I like. And Mm -hmm. we're going into what's possible there in how we can work with our energy and how we can share really deep love and deep sensitivity and deep arousal and learn to contain and hold that arousal and spread it through our bodies and have massive pleasure and full body orgasms or spiritual experiences that help open all our chakras and 
leave us feeling a lot of love, which we can carry into the rest of our lives. Uh, and that's where the Tantra part of it goes. So I'm going to back up a little bit here, just for people who aren't that familiar. They've heard the word Tantra. They think about sting. You know, like how would you <laughs> define? How do you define Tantra? Like, what is Tantra? <laughs> You ask 100 Tantra teachers that question, you get about 120 answers. But, and so I do think there's something really quite personal about what Tantra is, but then there's something that's objective that we have to look at the agreement field of what Tantra is. And Tantra is a non-dual path of awakening, which has ancient roots and an ancient history and has Buddhist and Hindu influences in it and has been practiced in quite varied ways in different communities and streams of thought down through the ages and in the recent four decades or so five even has been spreading into the west and people have been evolving it outside of what the classical tantra lineages have been practicing and that's often called neo-tantra which is a term that i actually don't like because it makes it sound like this is not exactly tantra it's something that's kind of derivative or cheapened or indulgent and some people see it that way so i prefer the term modern evolving tantra because i think what i do is Tantra, there's, there's lineage classical Tantra, which often, I mean, I really have great reverence for the uh, transmission of awakeness and the practices and beautiful cultures that have been preserved down through time. But I see all of the spiritual lineages of every type have seem to still carry patriarchal contamination, which is not congruent in my eyes to the age we're entering into where we're bringing the feminine values back and we're coming out of hierarchy and into the network as the pattern and where many things are evolving and we have so much more psychological knowledge and sophistication that really I think the spiritual traditions need to catch up with even though vice versa so when I look at Tantra and what it is, it's a spiritual path that includes sexuality and it includes a focus on uniting dualities. There's actually non-sexual streams of Tibetan Tantra also where they might be visualizing the deities in coitus the way you've seen in the depictions, you know, but they're not actually having sex with other people in the West, most people think of Tantra as involves people having sex, uh, but in a way that helps them with their spiritual awakening. Mm-hmm. And in the okay. West, a lot of the modern evolving Tantra has focused, as it should, on sexual healing and integration and learning boundaries and expanding our sense of possibility and cultivating relationships which meet our personal needs in better ways and those are valid things that can be included in tantra but then not all of the newer tantra has as much of a focus on spiritual awakening as the older tantra does but i do i like to include mm-hmm. all of that yeah mm-hmm yeah, and you do talk about erotic healing. Um, can you speak a little bit more about your approach to erotic healing? Well, 
Life is erotic. Life is eros. Eros is the very force of life itself, just bursting forth in all the flowers and the trees and the animals and the rushing rivers. And that's us. That's giving rise to us. And so, in a way, that eros flowing is the, just a very life force. Life is sexual, creation. And I think that all the ways that our life force gets tangled up and bottled and overstructured, you know, are ways that interfere with just our joy and ecstasy in living and uh, mess up our sexual relationships too. So Mm -hmm. when we, I think we are here in the present day still in the tail end of this multi-thousand year train wreck called patriarchy and it has affected us all in ways that are usually much deeper than we know and that we all have a lot of sexual wounding and sexual shame around it that we usually we have to heal from and I do intimate healing what's sometimes called DACA work which is a specific form of uh, body work and counseling work for people who are ready for it, which can involve internal work with people, say, working with the G-spot and clearing trauma. And I don't use so much of a method of catharsis or something with people, but I'm there to help them to explore sensation and full self-connection and to create a very safe, trusting space where they can really go deep into what they're authentically feeling and desiring and, and can, can heal because we store a lot of trauma there, especially for women in and around the, the genitals and inside. And, you know, we may think, oh, well, I was never raped or molested you know, although a lot of women were, an amazing number were, but even if you weren't, people think, well, what do I, I don't have trauma, but really every time we said yes and we weren't 100% yes is kind of a self-abandonment and there's trauma in that and we can numb out or we can have contractions or we can have different issues that start to form around that and maybe some of us also have just never been introduced to or touched with great sensitivity and with a lot of knowledge and experience of the anatomy and how it works. Women may not have ease with orgasm or uh, may want to explore dimensions of things that they would like a skilled person to to do that with and that's all a part of erotic healing for women which is what I mainly practice in a hands-on way with men I do mostly mentoring and there's a whole different set of issues in helping men to find the psychological roots of all the drivenness that gets behind male sexuality and male performance and male inadequacy and learn to let that drivenness collapse so they actually are free to enter sexual relating from their hearts and to learn to follow the energy and follow their woman uh, and support and receive whatever is arising for her uh, and hold space for that. It's all Beautiful. Part of it sounds like amazing work. Yeah, I'd love to hear more about it, but I'm noticing we're starting to run out of time. It's been really fascinating uh-huh. speaking with you, David. You're very eloquent and uh, have a deep understanding of Tantra as well as polyamory. And 
I'm really grateful we got a chance to talk. I hope you'll come back again in the future to my show. I'm sure I will. I'm sure I will. I've really loved <laughs> being here. And you're awesome, Sumati. Thank you so much for having me here. Yeah, and before we end, I want to give you a chance to tell our listeners how they can get in touch with you. Um, and I believe you have mm-hmm. an offer for our, our listeners, too. I do have some offers for people who are here, who are getting to hear this. And I just want you to know that I really love meeting and talking to new people. And I'll offer anybody like a free short consultation just to kind of get to know me and to ask me questions and to feel out how we might be a fit to do any kind of private work or couples work or to find out about my workshops and my deeper training programs. I also offer practitioner training for people who for whom it would be appropriate to study and practice the arts of erotic healing with others. Uh, So the best way to get in touch with me is to go to my website, which is passionateawakenings.com. That's awakenings, plural, with an S. So passionateawakenings.com. And you can find me there. You can find me on Facebook. It's David Imiri, I-M-I-R-I. I love when people seek me out on Facebook. That's a way that a lot of people find out about my events. And I would love to uh, to connect with people. I love community. And here's I have a special uh, code to offer you. The code radio button because we all like to push the magic button (laughs) and we're here today on the radio so if you use the coupon code radio button you can get uh 30 off your first private session with me if you'd like that or you can also get 10 percent off one of my bigger uh trainings Uh, that I offer in particular the erotic devotion training is my level one training of uh, my deeper work and that's going to be offered very soon in Vancouver and in Seattle and in Portland and coming soon to uh, back to the Bay Area and also back to San Diego and LA area as well uh, so, and also for the practitioner training, if anybody wants to study erotic healing, the arts of the sacred intimate with me, you can also use that radio button for 10% off of that. I'm offering a three month training that includes private sessions and private coaching and group coaching and, and a, a, a live intensive weekend. So we can really learn about erotic healing. And so the other thing that I'll say is just if you go to Passionate Awakenings and you join my mailing list, you'll see the, the, at the bottom of the homepage how you can do that. You'll get access for free to the members area, the free part of the members area on my website where there's all kinds of premium content and full-length interviews and other uh, special discounts for people who, uh, who join my mailing list. Fabulous. Well, that's very generous of you. Thank you for offering that to our listeners. And I'm sure there's uh, almost a limitless amount of information we can get um, from you and all your offerings. So congratulations on your tour and good luck with all your upcoming workshops. And thank you again for being on our show, David. We hope to see you again. Thank you so much, Sumati. I, I love you. You're really awesome, dear. And thank you to everyone listening. I love you too. Okay, bye-bye.